This episode of the Bayou Dragons podcast is proudly brought to you by Dragon Industrial Rap. Fuse. Ready for any project, no matter how big or how small. Dragon Industrial Rap. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Bayou Dragons podcast. You're all in for a treat today. Um, it's Matt here with you, joined by Porter and Tanner, and we have a very, very special guest today. Mr. Brian Sane, um, I'd love to list all of his accolades, but uh, rather let him do it myself. I'll start by saying he is a, you know, Badass. Brian, I, yeah, I know you really <laughs> said you're not much on being a macho man, but it's it's hard not to say this without sounding like a badass, man. You are a sniper, you are a sharpshooter, sniper instructor, man, you just have this long list. Uh, man, I, I, go ahead and give it to us all right now, man. Oh, I'm just old. <laughs> I'm just an old fart, man. That's it. I just uh, got bored and and got old, you know. Um, man, I was listening to, uh, you know, Toby Keith is, you know, God loved the dude. I got big memories of his bar in Vegas, you know, with you know, uh, rescuing a couple damsels in distress in that place. And I don't want to go into that here, but, um, but you know, he's cancer is killing him, and <clears throat> he. Uh, I saw here a while back, he, he was talking to Clint Eastwood and he asked Clint Eastwood, he's just, you know, how do you do it? How, you know, Clint Eastwood's in his nineties and he's still making movies and stuff. And he's like, how do you do it? You know? And, and Eastwood told him, you just don't let the old man in, you know? Yeah, and he wrote a, wrote a song about it. And that song is just uh, heart wrenching, you know, but you know, I, not many things make me reflect anymore. I love children, love puppies, you know, cool guys like y'all, you know, that kind of makes me reflect a little bit, but that, that song kind of made me reflect. Just like, yeah, I don't let the old guy in, you know, get out, get off the damn couch and go, uh, go run a couple miles, do a push up. you know, do something. Don't, don't just, you know, wither away. But, um, you know, I guess I'm, I guess I'm blessed. I've got, you know, my dad died at seven years old, still had six pack abs when he passed away, you know, so we had good genes, you know, so. Yeah, definitely don't look up upon you as old fart extraordinary. Yeah. You're I'm uh, 61, you know, and I don't feel it. You know, I, I you know, I tell people all the time, I look just like I did in high except for my ink. I look just like I did in high school from the neck down, but this body don't wore out about five heads, you know. So I, I whenever you said you were 61, I was like, I didn't believe it. Yeah. yeah. I was like, dude, you're the way you're talking, the way your meaner is, the way you hold yourself and present yourself talking to us, you know, I'm like, this is one of the guys. Like the only thing difference is his mustache has a little bit more gray. Than it's mine. white, yeah. I look like, <laughs> like, like a yeah anorexic Santa, you know, with this beard. But um, yeah, man, I you know, man, I've done a lot of stuff. You know, I, sometimes I think back. You know, I used to ride motorcycles and rodeoed, and you know, all the stuff we grew up doing, growing up in the country. I mean, I grew up with your dad, you know, so you know, it's it's almost like it's oh, this family, you know, really, and growing up like the way we do, you know, we're all outdoorsy and and all that and um you know man i always wanted as a kid i always wanted to go either the marine corps or army special forces and my old man told he came out in the 60s and he told me he said you know the recruiters are gonna lie to you and they're not gonna let you do what you want and i'm like no no you know so i did pretty good on the asvab and i went down and sure enough they you know i, I was gonna try to uh to get in on a ranger contract and go uh, special forces and um the guy lied to me, you know, there, there, there was some stuff he told me that wasn't, wasn't right. And he kind of shied away from, so I wound up going into law enforcement. And, um, but before that, man, I, you know, I raced motocross, I rodeoed, I shot competitively for years. I shot, um, long distance handgun silhouette competitions and, uh, did real well with that. You know, growing up like we do, we just shoot. Yeah. That's what we do. You did know? you, uh, did you have like a, 
because sniper, you, did you deer hunt growing up, like when you were a child? Yeah, you know, a lot, a lot. You know, a lot of uh, the guys I grew up with were uh, always had boats and and nice shotguns and duck hunted. They lived the duck hunt. You know, some of you know, you guys know them. I mean, they're they're y'all and 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 the older guys. You know, my age, they did the same thing y'all did. You know, they either were in a duck blind with you know duck hunting every single day after school everybody had a shotgun or a rifle in their, in their gun rack you know at high school it's not like that now but back then and nobody thought anything about it or they deer hunted big time out in west texas yeah i didn't have that kind of money i mean we just didn't have my family didn't have the money to have a deer lease and and all that my dad worked in a refinery so i lived in the woods with a 22 rifle and I mean, I, you know, I got tired of shooting squirrels with a shotgun because I didn't want to chomp down their BBs, you know, with my fillings on the tee. So I, I was shooting squirrels in the head with a 22. And I mean, I, I limit out every time I go, but that just carried over, you know, um, you I kind of figured all, out you were good at it. Well, I mean, I, I didn't miss a lot of squirrels, you know, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, it just, um, it's kind of a natural progression, I guess. You know, I, I love shooting competitively and, and got, got into that. And then when I, you know, since the military thing wasn't going to work for me um, and I got in law enforcement, you know, it was just a natural thing to to go to law enforcement and then a natural thing to gravitate to the SWAT team and then a natural thing to gravitate to the sniper team above and beyond that. I, I never spent a single day as an entry or a, a react or perimeter guy on a SWAT team. I was a sniper from day one and wound up being a sniper team leader. And I've been doing that. Um, I became a peace officer in 89, and I went to my first sniper school in 1991. So, I mean, where were you at in 1991? Uh, I was still, like, just a seaman. Yeah, so, yeah I was swimming. Yeah, I wasn't even, yeah. Now, y'all were swimming? At, yeah. Hell, swimming. Matt yeah. was still just a twinkle in his dad's eye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, so, I've been sniper qualified since 91 and teaching ever since. So, it's just, you know, I mean, I'm not, you know, it's just what I do, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I work for... Uh, Municipal police department, which is different than working for a sheriff's office. You know, you have different responsibilities, and the crime is much more compartmentalized. I mean, it's a whole lot of crime in a real small area, as opposed to the county where you're getting cows out of the road and that kind of stuff. You know, we had serious crime in the city, and um, some some pretty violent callouts. And I've been shot at three times at work. Um, got buddies been shot at more than that. Um, fortunately, those dudes, most of those dudes can't shoot, so for, for crap, you know. So um wound up on a good end of that but um saw a lot did a lot and I did, I did 20 years at a municipal police department and uh just due to my background um I, I got hired away and I went to work for Black Hills Ammo I was chief of operations of Black Hills Ammunition out in South Dakota for about right at three years and I wound up going through a divorce you know one of those deals oh, yeah. Move, moving home and uh, uh went back to law enforcement so been been man I've been at it ever since so Probably all told, I got 33 years in law enforcement and then that two-and-a-half-year break with Black Hills, but I'm rambling. So. Oh, you're yeah, good. you on about that, man? You are, uh, I mean, law enforcement's the backbone of your career. Is that, is that, if you go back and do it again? Man, yeah. I mean, I, I like helping people, man. I was always that, I was always that guy. I like to help other people, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's, law enforcement's different now than when I started. Uh, the country's different. People are different. It's just a different dynamic. The whole the whole country's in a different place, you know. And it's uh, it's really weird. Uh, we used to have a lot of fun in law enforcement. And we were putting bad guys away. I mean, we were putting serious bad dudes in tr- you know, in prison, left and right. Now it's it's harder to do the job. Um, 
I'd probably do it again. You know, I, I, I might make some – I'd have probably been a pretty good Texas Ranger. But uh, they don't really like cops like me no more. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you've been in the game for a minute. Yeah, long time. You know, seen seen, and I've seen a lot. You know, and sometimes I, you don't think about it until, you know, you just you lay there at night, you look at that ceiling fan go on, and you're just like, good lord, you start remembering some of that stuff that, you know, people you knew and stuff you've experienced, and you know the sheer amount of tragedy and trauma that a cop sees nowadays, and, and especially over a 33 year career. You know, a lot of guys don't handle it very well, but I just, ah, good Lord's always looked after me and always will. So I just keep on yeah. going with the rolling with the flow, you know. Yeah, it takes a special kind of person to do that job. And, you know, you got to put your faith in the right place. And like you said, good Lord's looking after you, man. Uh, that to me is, you know, uh, as just a just a guy, just a little old country boy, you know, I'm an operator, man. I, I could never uh, relate, you know, and I have the utmost respect for everybody putting their self in in that career path and you know in the in that situation to to have to deal with those things so that we don't have to you know man i i but it's not i mean it's not just cops you know you look at those military guys some of those guys got 10 12 15 tours of duty overseas just in amazing human beings you know um, firefighters emts you know those people see the same stuff we see nurses i love nurses and i i watch i've watched nurses perform miracles in er's before you know, I was in the ER one time, and this guy coded, and this nurse jumped up on the gurney and just cussing the dude like a sailor, you know, <laughs> and literally beat this guy back to life. You know, his heart stopped, and she was just pounding on his chest, and I'm like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? It was unbelievable. <laughs> she saved the dude's life, you know, and she's like, you son of a bitch, you better breathe. You know, and she's yeah. beating on this guy. Come on. Boom, boom, boom. Here comes his heart. She's like, oh, yes, ma'am. I guess I better get on it because, you know, you're going yeah. be, to beat me to death. She scared his ass back to life. So, I mean, it was freaking awesome, you know. And, but but you see that kind of stuff all the time. You don't really think about it because it happens daily, you know. And then when you look back, it's like, man, that chick was cool as hell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man, what's her number? Um, no, yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd be kind of scared of that. Yeah, you can't do that anymore, yeah, especially yeah. with a uniform on. They will crucify you, yeah. So let's let's just kind of backtrack. Let's kind of go through the history because we've been talking for hours with you before this, and um, yeah, you know, we're we try, try to save a little meat. For we the try podcast to save some meat for, for the podcast. Oh no, we rehash it. I don't care. Oh, I, definitely. It just like some like I'm not gonna lie, and this is you know going to be online. It's my jaw has been just like yeah, dry, open yeah. because like dude, you're I'm, just a cool yeah. some bitch. I'm telling you that straight up. Oh, so like. It, and you th- it's it's normal for you. You've been doing it for a long time, but like what we do, it's nothing to you. And we hear the shit. We're over here, f- like don't I, even know how to respond. You know? Yeah, we're turning valves. You know, we're just moving on. I mean, man, that's honorable. Yeah, guys, like my dad worked in a plant forever. You know, people look down on construction hands and plant operated. Those people built this country. Oh yeah, you know all those rich. You know, like the the guy <laughs> singing about the. Uh, you know, rich men from Richmond or whatever. You know, oh, yeah. that dude, I mean, he's spot on. I mean, those people didn't build this country. You know, yeah. you guys built this country. You know, plan yeah. out, you know. So, and I, and I appreciate the I appreciate the compliment, but, yeah, you know, that's the path I chose. And it's all the people I hang around do that. I mean, it's like you guys do what you do. I mean, y'all, it's going to look like, if, if y'all get me out of, in the marsh with a shotgun, it's going to look like the skies over Germany in World War II because I'm going to be blasting away. Y'all going to be like <laughs> <laughs> blowing me out of the water with a shotgun. But, um, you know, you guys do what you do, and I can't do what you do, you know, and I don't do what you do. Everybody has a niche, and that's kind of what 
how did you know at a young age, like you said at the beginning of this podcast, you knew at a young age you wanted to uh, be in law enforcement or military? I, I had an uncle that was a cop. My dad, he wasn't really a biological uncle. He was my dad's best friend, but I called him uncle. He was that, yeah. that close. You know how that goes. So uh, he was police, and I always looked up to him. And I thought, well, you know, if the military, if they're not going to let me do what I want to do in the military and there's any chance they're going to make me a cook or something, I ain't doing it. And, and I probably should have went ahead, you know, I'm one of the, I, I am the classic, I almost joined, military guys hate dudes that almost joined, they didn't do it. My son's a soldier, army, infantry, um, got, you know, enlisted to be at the Tomb of the Unknowns, and typical, my kid, he told him, I mean, that's a very high honor to get chosen for that, and he said, with all due respect, I didn't join the army to guard a grave and okay they sent him straight to afghanistan <laughs> you know, so yeah. on a 240 machine gun so but he was a top 240 gunner in all army europe so i mean you know it just yeah. you know he gets it natural but um i you know i always liked helping people I always wanted to serve a country and i'm patriotic beyond i mean that's i mean i got america tattooed on that on that arm you know in the same font the declaration's written in. so i mean i just uh 9-11 hit me hard. I'm having a hard time watching Israel right now, you know, because those poor people. Um, you know, 9-11 was a was – I, I stayed glued to the TV for a month and didn't say a word. I was so pissed off. Still am. Still pissed. Yeah. But anyway, blah, blah, blah. So been, been, been that way since I was a kid. Just proud of the country and, uh, uh, you know, people bled and died for this thing. So we can sit here and – Shoot do the, this. Do shoot this, the shoot, bull. Do and, this. Uh, you know, we, did, we just drink. ate a big steak and drank a couple <laughs> cold beers in Texas – Oh, man, if I died right now, I'm happy. Yeah, you know, no I mean, doubt. How, how you it don't get no better than this. You know, Literally. Just, you know, Texas is a cult. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just is. You know, people are like, well, that's a big deal with Texas. I'm like, man, if you got to say that, then you just you don't get it. You know, we anyway. No, and a lot of people take it for granted, and we, and I know I do sometimes, and I try not to. Like what we what we've been doing for the last few hours is just. There's right. there's a lot of countries and a lot of people out there that don't cannot do that. No, never not at be all. able to. And never. I think it's a, it's hard not to when you're not in it. You don't see it. Um, you know, I think a perfect example is like um, I hired in a <clears> job <throat> a couple of years ago, man, and this place was night and day difference. Where I came from prior to that, man, I'm walking through oil and gas and slop and all kinds of bullshit every day. I go to this brand new facility, man. It's still sparkling. They're still painting tanks. And I'm like, man, this place is badass. It's so clean. It's, it's, it, the workload's easy. It's nice. I'm getting paid, you know? I go in to meet the guys, and they're like, man, this place sucks. Like, where the hell did you come from? Where did you work before this? And the dude was like, oh, I worked at Dairy Queen. I'm like, yeah, you don't know shit because you haven't seen shit. So it's, it, it, it puts it into perspective, you know, when you've seen, um, you know, you've seen the difficulties, the atrocities, the things that, um, that happen, you know, behind closed doors, maybe that they're ugly. You know, you don't see that every day. It's it's hard to, you know, to not be kind of complacent in in how just how good we have it. You know, and I didn't mention it. I'm a journeyman lineman too. I did line work for eight years before I got in law enforcement. So I mean my mom was brilliant. She's like, look, learn a trade. Learn how to do something with your hands and then go do what you want. And some of the best advice I ever got, you know, my that little five foot Irish woman was, you know, she was brilliant. And, and I did, I did line work for, for nine years and I, you know, I'm a journeyman lineman. I can, with IBW, I can go back, you know, pay a month's dues and I'm back on my tools if I want to be. But I've got that to fall back on, you know, if time gets it hard or I need a job, you know, for, you know, for whatever reason. But, uh, you know, I grew up working with my hands. My dad worked, you know, I was walking a picket line when I was six years old. 
You know, so I mean, I you know. So your electrician, yeah. your brother was a master carpenter. Yeah, I mean, I, well, not electrician. I'm a lineman. There's lineman, different, yeah, lineman. I, the difference. So you know, we you know, I, I know when I took my uh, when I I got out of line work and had to take my psych test for law enforcement. There, you know, the shrink asked me. He goes, "Well, you you were doing line work, and now you want to be a cop. He said, Have you got a death wish?" And I'm like, "No." He said, well, "Okay, you're crazy enough." So signed off on it. You know, so it was. Uh, Life's great, man. I just, uh, you know, I've seen as much stuff as, you know, parents died horribly, both of them, you know, and just been through a lot, seen a lot. But you just, uh, you know, faith gets you through it. You just got to something, you know, you just got to believe in something bigger than yourself and, and go for it. You know, I mean, bad stuff happens to people every day, all of us. And you just can't let that drag it down in the gutter. You know, you just got to, man, sometimes it's hard, but you got to get up, put your boots on, and, and get, you know. I used to ride bareback horses back in the day, and everybody's like, man, you need to slow down a little bit. You're going to you spur yourself right off the damn horse. And I'm like, ah, I may go down, but I'm going down spurring, you know. I'm not going to hit the dirt because I just, you know, yeah, got up there get, then, you know. Get right back up and get back you know, on you that You got to get back bitch. on, you know. It's just, you know, you have to limp out. Of, you don't show the, the pain in the arena. You know, when you limp out, you might want to die. But 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 while you're there, you know, you're there to take care of business, you know. So, anyway, but I'm rambling again, so. No, that's what but, we're But, uh, man, I, I uh, yeah, I, I've had an amazing life. I've got amazing friends, you know, and um, like you guys, you know. And like I said, I, you know, your dad's one of the best guys. Your dad's one of the best guys I ever met. And uh, he's got that reputation everywhere he goes. You know, it's not just Old not Travo. just me. Not just me saying that. Yeah. So, oh, no, dude, Travo is a very yeah. He's one of the best. Yeah. We hear it, man. Me and Mitch and Luke and uh, hey, we got big shoes to fill in that regard, man. But um, you know, we do the best we can for him. And right. uh, you know that it's just really cool. Like earlier, we we're sitting around the fire cooking steaks, and you're telling me stories about uh. You know, my dad making uh, making shoelace tackles on the football field and getting stiff armed by Hall of Fame running back Eric Dickerson. Absolutely, and uh, <laughs> you know, so it's 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 small town stuff, man. Uh, the whole the whole game plan when we played Eric Dickerson was everybody hit him. That was it. That was the whole game plan for the whole game. If you if you can put a hit on there, Dickerson, probably did not go they well. They couldn't catch him. They couldn't catch him. Uh, the, you know the, I mean? the, the game script on that was Dickerson's out for the first half. They didn't think they need him. They're going to roll through Hampshire, and then Hampshire puts up a good fight. Right, right. Dickerson comes out. He's on a you know he had a little problem with his knee. Well, yep. in the second half they said we're going to need you. Yep. He came out in the second half and had over three hundred yards rushing just in the second half. Yep. My dad said he stiff armed him so hard, man. He was looking out of his ear hole. In his helmet. He said the dude, man, he could just grab. His hands were like yeah. dinner plates. He could just grab your helmet and just move you wherever he wanted you to. Uh, yeah. Heard those uh, stories growing up, man, and getting to watch him on TV. That was cool. Dad, I played him. Eric Dickerson. He did. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't play football. I was in the woods with a rifle. I mean, I, I didn't play football. I wasn't a football player. I didn't. Uh, I was built for riding bareback horses and, and you know. But um, but anyway, yeah, your dad was great. But, but uh, growing up in the country, man, you know, that's – uh. Side note, man, Hampshire Vanette uh, plays Sillsby tomorrow. Yeah, They're that's going to be a game, bro. Dude, they better bring their A game. 8 no right now. If I wasn't on nights, I'd be there. Dude, eight, yeah. dude uh, good luck to them. They're playing Sillsby. They're the only two teams in, like, this region that are still undefeated. There was at one point uh, a rumor that Deion Sanders was going to be in attendance at the football game. What? But rather they're sending a, a – uh, Colorado scouts going to be out there. There's going to be some guys watching that that uh, uh, Miller, Draylon Miller, Draylon Miller, man. Yeah, he that kid's fast, man. So, um, hey, it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a scrap. I tell you, I, I, 
I wish the best for them. Hey, HF talk about Texas being a cult, man. It's it's hardworking people and Friday night football, man. That's it. That is that is it in a nutshell, man. Yeah. Because I was talking to like my foreman at work. His uh, he has cousins all around like Texas, like out in like BFE West Texas, like you know, eighty kids in a class, right? Like, but like the whole town shuts down every Friday. Yeah. Like, and I'm talking the whole town, everything, there's not a, the Dairy Queen's closed. Everybody's at the games. Yep. And that's like, there's 1,156 different high schools in Texas. Yeah, right. And I guarantee a 1,000 of them are like that. Right, you, you know? go to Sabine Pass. I mean, there's like 18 people in the graduating <laughs> class. So Seven-man football. The, the football team at halftime takes their jerseys off and pick their tubas and their trumpets up and play in the band and go put their jerseys back on and finish the game. Man, that's, uh, that's for real. Yeah, it's you know, very... So. That's you know. just a lifestyle here, though, man. I just, uh, but I'm proud of it. You know, I'm proud of America, proud of the people here. And it, you, you don't see as much of that anymore. And I'm, it's, to be honest with you, it's sad as hell. <clears throat> the man, because when 9 11 happened, I mean, I've been in law enforcement for years when that happened. And I was catatonic watching those people jump out of those buildings. And I just, it just built up that. You know, when you get pissed off at something and you're mad, you want to scream, God, don't, you know, you're just throwing stuff. That's one thing. But that calm anger, you know, it's the same look that Bush had when they were in that classroom, that calm resolve that's like, oh, I know you didn't do that. Yeah. Because you're fixed to see what we're made of. Another yeah. side, yeah. And, you know, and I think that's where Israel's at right now. But but when 9-11 happened, it uh, – now, I'll get emotional if I think about it. If I talk about it too much, I'll get emotional talking about 9-11. It, it, it affected me that bad. So, oh, I mean, we were in third grade. I mean, it didn't affect us like it does. You know, Dude, I, like you. I just uh, – I think I'm, we were third grade. My best friend went over – you know, he uh, – I had uh, two really good friends. One was a, a SWAT sniper in Frisco, Texas, but he's also on the Texas National Guard. And then I had another buddy that was in uh, – he was a Fort Wayne, Indiana cop sniper. And, but he was in the Marine Corps Reserve. Well, Jeff, the Indiana guy, was 39. And Russ, my buddy in Frisco, was 43. Those guys went active duty, full-time active duty after 9-11, quit their police departments, went active duty in the Marine Corps Reserve and, and National Guard. And Russ went through Army sniper school at 43 years of age. That's a gut check, bro. I mean, that school ain't no joke for anybody, for young men. And a lot of those guys don't pass it, and they flew through it. And so did um, my friend Jeff. He went through Marine Corps Scout Sniper School. Yeah, he's one of the oldest guys to ever go through it. And um, they both deployed immediately. And uh, those guys did good work over there because they, they were mature. They'd been on the SWAT team forever. They'd actually been in, you know, bad situations and stuff. So they were they – were, huge force multipliers in their units, you know, as far as combat goes. Um, but they got over there, and their, you know, reservists and, and National Guardsmen, they didn't have the gear they needed. And they're calling me like, hey, bro, I need this and this and this and this and this. And, you know, I'm not talking about weapon scope and ammo. You know, I'm talking about backpacks and binoculars and optics and stuff like that. And uh, it's like, I need all the stuff. And I'm like, can you help me out? And I'm like, man, I, you know, I got 100 bucks in my pocket, you know, so – Man, I just put on a – and I'm rambling. Do you want me to go here? Or yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, just go. So, man, I just had two dudes that were buddies, and they needed help. And they were fighting, and I was at home. Felt like I was doing nothing. You know, still doing the law enforcement thing, but just felt like I wasn't contributing. 
So I'm a detective at work, so that's what I do. I normally have, you know, nice pants, shirt and tie, the whole bit on, you know, the detective clothes. But uh, um, I put on a uniform and started raising money locally in, in my, you know, in Port Arthur, Texas. And it wasn't long. I mean, that was right after 9-11. People were throwing money at me. When I told them what I was doing, I'm in uniform, whatever, and bosses signed off on it. You know, I wasn't doing anything wrong or taking the money or anything like that. And it wasn't long, man. I had everything they needed bought, sent to them. Um, but I had money left over. That wasn't my money. That was the community's money. And I'm the police. I ain't taking the community's money with that. I mean, so I'm like, well, what am I going to do with this money? You know, I got a considerable amount of money. And so I started calling sniper schools in the Marine Corps and the Army. Just cold calls. It was hilarious because you don't, when you call a Marine Corps or an Army scout sniper or a sniper school or a scout sniper school and you're a cop, and you get a buck sergeant on the phone or, or a corporal on the phone, and they're like, you got a corporal, you got a cop on the phone. And it, invariably it went like this. I'm like, hey, man, I'm detective in Texas. Is your gunny sergeant around or your master sergeant around? Uh, yes, sir. Stand by one. And then you hear, gunny, some cops on the phone. Invariably you hear, oh, shit. Because <laughs> you know? they just knew they were out of leave and screwed up or something, you know. And then I get on the phone with these guys. I'm like, hey, look, man, I got a surplus of money. Do you have students that need gear that are deploying? And they're like, absolutely. We got guys that are dying for it. So that was in 2002. So I kind of took it on myself to raise as much money as I could for as long as I could and help every single American on a scope gun that was shooting those stinking bastards that attacked our country and just made it a personal mission and moved my cars out of the garage. I pretty much was running a gear shop out of my own garage, uh, if I wasn't, and I'm not trying to play the martyr here, but it's the truth. Uh, if I wasn't at work or asleep, I was taping boxes in the garage for two years. And then finally got to the point where the wife was about to leave. And, I mean, it was bad, man, because that's I, mean, I was just mission-focused, you know, and uh, trying to help as many dudes as I could. And then the war was ramped up. You know, Afghanistan was kind of winding down because, I say winding down, we kind of had that situation under control early on. Bin Laden was on the run. He was already through Tora Bora and had probably headed to Pakistan. And, and we had that situation under control, but Iraq kicked off. And then it was game on. So I wound up having to get some help. So long story short, somebody, we adopted our buddies, and, and somebody started calling it Adopt a Sniper, the little program. And uh, I hated it because it, it, you're going to have them fools that get on your podcast and start talking trash and talking shit about something they don't know anything about or – just saying ugly stuff just to say it because they can. We had a lot of that. Well, how, I want to adopt a sniper. How, do, how often do I walk my sniper? How much do mm. I feed my sniper? And it just made me want to yank up the, you know, I'm just like, okay, that's not going to work. So we renamed the thing americansnipers.org. So the name of the organization was actually the, the web address. So that was in 2003, uh, 20 years ago. Now we're, uh, I think we've probably raised... I don't know, somewhere around $3 million, supported over 1,300 different sniper units in Afghanistan and Iraq and other places that, you know, Horn of Africa, other places that are Americans are doing that work and uh, just buying gear that they're, you know, that their units either can't or won't buy them. And people are like, they get pissed off. They're like, why in the military? That's where our tax dollars going. Well, Biden gave a shit ton of it away to the Taliban, <laughs> you know, so yeah. they gave away, that dude gave away more stuff than we could raise in 20 lifetimes. But that notwithstanding, you know, a lot of people just don't get it. You know, the snipers are actually a very, very small portion of a bigger cog in the wheel. And sometimes their bosses 
have extra money for them, and sometimes they don't, you know. And we, uh, like we get, right now, we are almost exclusively supporting U.S. Army Special Forces and their mission. Um, and used to, Navy guys and Special Forces guys never asked us for nothing. They didn't have to because they had what's called an impact card. So they had a credit card. If they needed something that wasn't on their uh, MTO, which is their military table of equipment, um, if it wasn't on there, they just go buy it. You know, if they wanted Kuyu gear or better cold weather gear than the Army issued, or they wanted whatever, they just went and bought it. They did away with all that. So they've cut the butt. They've cut, you know, Obama did it. Biden did it. They cut the military down to nothing. And those guys have a hard time getting the stuff they need. So, um, you know, they're like, hey, man, look, our units bought us this, this, and this. But we would be so much more lethal if we had this and this. Well, we buy the this and this and, you know, shoot it straight to them with our contacts. So, um, Anyway, we've been doing it a long time, helping a lot. We've helped a lot of dudes, and um, I, as far as I know, we're we're the only not. You know, there's some great nonprofits out there. They're buying houses for these guys that have been blowing up IEDs, taking guys on hunts. You guys, I'm sure you guys see a lot of that. You know, they're they're taking veterans on you know guided hunts and stuff. You know, hunts of a lifetime or whatever. We don't really do that. We're killing the enemy by proxy. And as far as I know, we're the we're the only nonprofit that does that by buying mission essential gear, essential gear that uh, those guys need to kill bad guys. Before we get into that, I just kind of still just picking at you while you're, you know, in your younger ages. How did you know, like, I know you squirrel hunted stuff like that and you graduated high school. Did you go to college or anything? Nope. You'd, so you just kind of learned to trade. You became a lineman. Yeah. And how did you know that you – we're going to become, I, you know, I, mom, mom gave me great advice. You know, she's like, learn and trade. So I did that, you know, great advice. And, and I learned it, but I didn't want to be doing that when I was the age I am now. In fact, I probably didn't want to be doing a cop as the age I am now, but, but, uh, you know, everybody's like, man, why don't you retire? I said, well, I did retire. I got one retirement and two divorces. So, you know, yeah. so you retired. Three you know, times, so, really. Yeah. So I'm, I'm back at it. But, uh, Man, I just I knew I wasn't going to be a lineman forever. I mean, I I, I don't know how I, I knew, but I just I, I knew that I, you know. And I met my first my kid's mom. Uh, she was a uh, an engineer. She was a And M grad, and uh, her career was taken off. And uh, I didn't want a regular army job or a regular Marine Corps job. I wanted to be special operations capable. You know, I want and th- that guy's going to be gone forever. So I thought, you know what, just give up on that. And one day I came home and said, Hey, I'm going to the police academy. And she's like, what? Because we didn't talk about it. I didn't mention it. I just did it. And I went and haven't looked back, you know. And, uh, man, I don't really have a hard answer for you. I just, I knew I wasn't going to do line work forever. And I've got it to fall back on. Yeah. But but, but I just. I, what know. I'm saying is, like, how did you. How like did initially, you know? That was just. How did you <laughs> get into, like, being a sniper? Like, how did you. I mean, because, like, what we've talked about. Did it have any appeal to you, like, prior to knowing what Like, what that you want to be able to shoot far very well. Well, and most cop snipers, we don't shoot that far. We shoot really good. We just don't shoot that far. It's not like the military guys. You know, we're working yeah. in American neighborhoods, you know. And a lot of times uh, you see these military guys get out of the military and they, oh, I want to teach these cops all the things. And most of the stuff they do don't apply to what we do. Yes. I mean, we're shooting. People don't think about it. But the bad guys we shoot may be criminal. They may be crazy. They may be both. But they're still protected by the same Constitution we are right up to the second they force us to put a smoking hole in their face. Yeah. They force us to do that. If they would raise their hands and give up, we're done. Mission's over. 
that's not what the, the military does, you know, you know, and, and our primary job is not shooting even. And that's one similarity we have is the military guys, you know, the primary observation, our, our primary job is observation, you know, providing real time intelligence to their commanders. And that's what we do for SWAT team as well. However, secondary mission is providing, you know, precision fire on designated targets for the military. That's high ranking officers, you know, commo guys and stuff like that. They're there to kill the enemy in a foreign country. They don't do that here. Police officers are forced to shoot criminals to save someone's life in America. And though everybody involved from the cop, his boss, the hostage, her mother, the bad guy, and their mother are all U.S. citizens protected by the same Constitution. Yeah, the, and, and, and the, the 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 rules of engagement are diametrically opposed. I mean, you know, they're getting closer because you know they, they don't want to shoot, you know, civilians overseas. It happens. That's the big thing going on with Israel right now. But but back to your question, um, I always like I've been my own man ever since I was a little kid, and I have paid for it terribly. I never was fake. You know, I can't be a fake person and that those guys in high school and stuff and you see grown people now at my age and they're still fake as they can fake ass bitches yeah you know and i'm just like man you're so fake you got thirty thousand friends and it's the biggest bunch of fake crap you know and i was never i always did my own thing i've always been my own man you know i was never the fair-haired boy i was never the golden child i was never the made man never that's one thing i pride our whole group on being we're real just real people man that's it you know and uh, I pride ourselves on that for sure. Yeah, That's Chris, why we click. Yeah. Chris Kyle's a buddy of mine, and Chris could fit right in right here. You know, a lot of you know Chris Kyle's sniper instructor is a friend of mine. You know, I know people like that, and you know people. You know, Carlos Hathcock, one of the most famous snipers in Marine Corps history, was one of my instructors. I'm friends with his son. You know, I've sat at his kitchen table, and and they're just normal. All of them country boys. Everyone I mentioned so far, and and um, just like us. And you know, it's. I don't do well around fake, phony people. You know, I just don't. I just don't. How? Well, finish what you're about to say. No, no, no. That's it. I, you know, th- there's an there's an event here in Southeast Texas called Cavalcade, and it's a, you know, it's a big bunch of debutantes. They get together, and most of their families are rich and got money, whatever. And one of my girlfriends was sponsored by one of the refineries, so she had quite a bit of money behind her. And um, we go to this a big event, and. She, it's like it changed her whole personality at this event. She was talking down to people and everything. Well, she got to missing me. And I had to borrow a suit to go to this thing. I couldn't afford a tux. Everybody else in a tux, and I'm in a suit, you know. So I'm already behind the eight ball on that. And she gets to looking for me. I took the jacket off. I was in there washing dishes with the hard help. She got to looking for me for an hour. I finally realized, where's he at? And I'm in there washing dishes. This ain't my crowd, man. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to put on airs for something, you know. But but anyway, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, man, I just. Uh, Could you uh, tell us how, like, you became buddies with Chris Kyle? Like, yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, Chris got out of the Navy in 2008. Um, that's the year I retired from the, the police department. And I went to work for Black Hills Ammunition in South Dakota. We made all the 556, 308, you know, a lot of 308, no, 300 wind mag. We, you know, that company made Chris Kyle's ammo and all of the ammunition for SOCOM. 
Um, in fact, I got a tattoo on this arm. It's covered up. It says never quit. But, you know, you know what an ammo can looks like, right? The green can with the yellow writing on it. Yeah. You've seen a million of them. Well, there's a big stencil machine that makes those, that lays those stencils out. The government, that has to be laid out in a certain way. And the letters have to be a certain size and blah, blah, blah. And we had a big stencil machine. It's got a big dial that laid those things out. Well, I typed never quit in the stencil machine and made, made a tattoo. that says never quit on my left arm off of the stencil machine that stenciled the ammo cans that killed Bin Laden the Marist Alabama Pirates, I could go on and on and on and on about, because we made all of 556 for SOCOM. Um, so Chris, when Chris got out of the Navy in 2008, I was working for Black Hills. Um, I was going to a lot of the sniper conferences and stuff because of my background and stuff, and I was working for the ammo company, and we just got to be friends right off the bat, right? You know, he started his own training company. Um, he was going to hire me to help teach along with other guys there's a lot of you know other guys like me that were, were going to go to work for him um some of them did and then his book and a movie came out he actually used you know, he thought so much of our nonprofit that he he named the book and movie american sniper after my organization american sniper is not org not the other way that big squid stole my shit i tell people that all the time <laughs> now, i love him but i miss him terribly he was one of my good friends but um He's like, well, you didn't copyright it. I'm like, well, I didn't think I have to copyright it from <laughs> you, you know, you asshole. You know, so I mean, but we were very close. And uh, he thought enough of the, the organization that he, he said, that's a good name for the book and the movie. And so I didn't care. You know, I could care less. And uh, I'm glad it, glad it, you know, did what it did. And, uh, you know, his kids will, his kids will, will be set up for yeah. from now on. But anyway, but that's, that's how Chris and I met. And we were, you know, we were, we were good buddies. I saw Chris two weeks before he was, he was killed and, uh, and uh, we had a project we were working on together, and he's, you know, he got rich and famous, or not rich and famous, big and famous by then. And and uh, maybe he was still saying with Chris, he's like, man, we need to finish that project. And I'm like, man, we got the rest of our life to to finish that project. And uh, and I'm like, yeah, man, I'll see you later. He said, all right, boy, I love you. I'm like, yeah, I love you too. And then two weeks later, he's gone. You know, so it's kind of the way it goes. But uh, he was a real, real guy, like a cowboy, you know, rodeo hand, just like us. Yeah, and they kind of portrayed that in the movie. Yeah, they did, and they got that. You know, they absolutely got all of that correct. I, you know, there's a few things that were. Yeah, you know, I'm just kind of like, okay, it's Hollywood a little bit, but 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 the vast majority of it was was pretty good. Yeah, it really was. And I, I mean, I was I was privy to a lot of that because I mean, Chris and I drank much whiskey over women, much whiskey. Did I say much? Much, much emphasis, whiskey. much more, much, much whiskey more. over women. So yeah, that uh, but I mean, you can't hate Hollywood for they have to make a movie. Oh yeah, you know? right, right. You got to make right. it. Because if it, they did every detail of what it was, I mean, it would be good and people would appreciate it. But also, like, you got to action it up or make it this or that. Well, we but, talked about Jeff. You know, Jeff Kyle, Chris's younger brother. I mean, he just graduated the police academy in Waco. He might be mad at me for saying that. I'm sorry, Jeff. If you see this, <laughs> punch me later. But whatever. You know, I mean, he he's a real deal guy, too, just like Chris was. And uh, But he's, he's a working police officer. He's not like some kind of reserve police officer or somebody that just – He's a cop, and a uh, ton of respect for Jeff. You know, their family just uh, quietly deals with the grief and, and stuff on their own, you know, but uh, in their own way. But uh, they're good people. So. Yeah. Hell, yeah. Anyway. I was just kind of curious because that, that's very neat that you, you know, were friends with him, an American hero. You told yeah, multiple, I mean, like multiple heroes you've been friends with. and Right. You uh, told a story earlier, and I'd love to – to have you tell it again, man, of, of Chris uh, stealing your pocket knife one time. Man. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. So we are at the National Patrol Rifle Conference in Detroit, Michigan. There's 300 cops in there, mostly snipers and, and you know, designated marksmen for their agencies. 
So Chris and I have been drinking. I wasn't a police officer then. I, that's when I was working for Black Hills. And Chris just got out of the Navy. Both of us having woman trouble. So we've been drinking since noon with a sergeant major from the British Army named Mark, Mark Spicer. Mark's friend of ours. Mark was a subject matter expert on the D.C. killings. Remember the D.C. sniper? Remember that guy going around shooting on the people, the maniac shooting on the people? Mark was a subject matter expert in that case. Good friend of ours. I can't drink with those dudes, man. I mean, he's British, and Chris is huge. And he's a I beef mean, boss I was, for yeah, sure. They, yeah, I, we were polluted. I mean, it was polluted. polluted. <laughs> Dude. It was, it oh, was my polluted. God. That is it such was, a good yeah, word. That's going to be a new one for that us. Is a good, Dude, I'm about to be polluted here in a minute. Uh, that's an old term. I, I'm showing my age here. All the old hands are like, what are they laughing about? That, yeah, it's new to I'm you guys. Polluted. Like, that's uh, we were, I was out of my mind drunk, so... I have to get, I mean, Chris had, you know, he had a stack of ribbons this big on his chest. You know, he had, you know, you know, Nate, couple Navy crosses, silver stars and all that stuff. And uh, so I gave his introduction. Every, you know, I was, gonna, I was getting ready to give his introduction. So what, he's walking behind me and he took my knife out of my pocket. And I'm like, hey, boy, get my knife. And he's holding it behind his back. I mean, it's obviously he had it. And I, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, dude, give me my knife. And, and he said, well, if I had your effing knife, what are you going to do about it? So I punched him in the jump. Well, he dropped the knife, but he punched me in my head, you know, and knocked my hat off. I'm like, oh, you bitch, you know. So we square up, and the air goes out of the room because we're in Detroit, Michigan with a bunch of Yankees. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, forgive me. I, Yankees don't watch this I, show. I, I still don't know how y'all <laughs> won that war. We almost beat y'all's ass barefoot and starving. But anyway, that's another story. Um, I still don't know how we lost that one. But um, no, no offense. Love you guys. Um, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. But anyway, Chris and I squared up. So, you know, I, I'm going to go throw I was going to. Just throw a mock punch at him. Well, about the same time he went to grab me, you know, and I punched him right in the jaw. Then he then he got pissed. And he wanted to kill me, but he couldn't because he, he loves me. So he just picked me up and shook the change out of my pockets, you know. I got a picture with my big googie on my head where Chris punched me in my head, you know. I wouldn't take – somebody started snapping pictures after that. But they thought we were really, you know, crazy Texans fixing to go start fighting right here in the conference, you know. And, you know, it was just – Doing, well, doing what we do, yeah. You that's know, just, just you know, just being clowns, just you know. We're just goofing, goofing around, goofing off. And I went, you know, I think nothing about it then. I, I wouldn't take a million dollars for that experience because that's my friend, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that was hilarious. Can man. I drink beer? Can story, I drink yeah. a beer on here? Or no, is that is that like <laughs> not, is, not? Can I not do that? This is the most raw and unfiltered you, podcast. You showed is, this. You were scrolling through some pictures earlier, and he just. For the viewers, to put this into context, while well, I want to hear the story again, he was just showing pictures, and there was just a picture of uh, of Brian, and he was, I think, up at the podium, and he had a big old knot on his head. Yeah, Chris, yeah. yeah that was Chris punched me in the forehead with that big old frogman ring. Yeah, that trident big, ring. Navy trident, Navy seal trident ring. He used to wear a big old solid gold, twenty four karat gold. Looked like something got in a kiosk at the mall. <laughs> Bow, man! I'm like, oh, you fucker. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I mean, I man, I. Ain't nobody going to do that and get, oh, you know, we both grew up in the beer joint, me and him both. So, I mean, it just, you know, it's, you know. I have a um, couple questions I wanted to ask. So, you know, for a lot of our viewers and a lot of people that, you know, are just normal people, civilians, I guess, um, they think of snipers. They, most people probably think of military snipers, you know. Right. You know, foreign, right. all that stuff, uh, military. So, there's a lot of need for snipers here in America. Right. So can you talk about maybe some... Yeah, law, law some enforcement instances? is a totally different job. You know, there's there's, it's just a different job that we do. And, you know, people think that it's a big long-range thing and all that, like the military guys. That's not really what happens in law enforcement in America. In the last 40 years, there's probably been, you know, a, a lot of the three-letter agencies don't give us their data. 
But there's another organization called the American Sniper Association, totally different than the charity. That organization documents and and retains the data on every sniper shooting in the U.S. that they can find out about. A lot of agencies don't want to talk about it, like New York, L.A., a lot of those agencies don't want they don't want to give up their sniper data. A lot of the three-letter agencies don't want to either. But most other agencies will. So we, we've got quite a few of the over 540 documented shots in law enforcement where someone, uh, some cop, sniper somewhere, saved a hostage's life. And that's a different job than what the military does. Now, some there's hostage aggression in the military with, you know, the – the SEAL guys and the Green, you know, the Green Brave Special Force guys and other other people that do special jobs that that I don't, I don't talk about because officially they don't exist and, and out of respect for them I don't even acknowledge their existence. They may acknowledge it themselves, but that ain't for me to do. So those guys do hostage rescue, probably fixing to be doing a bunch of it in Israel, and they know who they are. Most people know who they are. That's good enough. But here in states, and before nine eleven, nobody shot more people than the cops. You know, police officers are having to save people's lives because you got people on drugs, you got maniacs taking people hostages across the street. But most of the time, you're dealing with people in the trailer park, you're dealing with people at the mall, you're dealing with people house to house. And it's not the long distance uh, Hollywood type thing, or n- not even that, the, the military stuff. They, you, you hit it on the head. You know, they, they automatically think, oh, he's a sniper, it's military stuff. And, it's, and a lot of times it's not. A lot of the, there's a lot of similarities. A lot of times you have to say, you have to, you know, remain hidden and unseen because if they see you, they're going to go to ground. They're going to, they're, they're not going to let you shoot them, you know, and, and if you can't miss most of the time, the military guys, um, you know, if they miss, it's no big deal. You know, they're 300, it, 400 or yeah, however, you know, they, far. and there's no backstop issue. They're not in an American neighborhood. If, you know, if I miss and it goes through your house and kill somebody in the house behind you, then I'll just commit a homicide. Yeah. You know, or it's through if you're, you know, if you're shooting a 308 in a trailer park, and everybody's like, well, why are you shooting a 308? That's a big caliber to be shooting a trailer park. Most of the time, we have to deal with glass, but we have to absolutely be sure of our backstop before we pull the trigger. You can't call a bullet back. Everything that bullet touches, I own. In the military, you know, they might have to patch a hole in a mud hut and buy the family a goat. Okay, it, you know, if I shoot a Volkswagen, I just bought a Volkswagen. So you're liable for a whole lot. Every more single, here. yeah, the liability. I've had military guys tell me I couldn't do your job. But then I have other military guys that do both, like my friends that I helped out, and they're fantastic at both of them. You know, my, my buddy that was in the Army, older guy, mature guy, they, when he deployed, he was a National Guardsman, and he wound up running with 5th Special Forces Group because they needed a sniper guy. They had other jobs. Some of those guys were sniper qualified, but they had other jobs to do. And he ran with them and did yeoman work over there. And uh, I got a super cool picture I didn't show you of his M24. I sent him a... Uh, that's the Army sniper rifle at the time, and uh, I sent him a scope cap with a picture of the uh, Twin Towers in it. And he's got a cool picture over his Humvee with that scope cap on his, you know, and he's looking at the Twin Towers because that just happened. He was there, you know, the year after 9-11. So, um, so it's just a different job with different rules of engagement. And, you know, cop snipers aren't beyond falling into that trap. I call it PCH, playing Carlos Hathcock. It's like, man, you're not in Vietnam hunting the Viet Cong. You're at the mall or Walmart parking lot, you know. Oh, you guys know what trace is? Do you know what that means when you say trace and long-distance high-power shooting or long-distance shooting? So when the bullet flies through the air, it looks just like a motorboat in the water. 
the air behind the air behind the it is making like a little ripples, just exactly like a motorboat in the water. But if you if you if you offset your spotting scope a little bit and turn it just a little bit out of focus, you can see where that trace is, and you can call your shot. None of that matters in law enforcement. We're shooting people, you know. We're shooting at targets across the street. So I have I have a standing joke, you know. You know, I'm, nobody's calling trace in the trailer park. You know, it's just that's not what we do. You said you told me it was. You actually asked us, like quizzed us, what's the average shot in America for a sniper and right? Yes, in, in, was, yeah, yeah. In law enforcement, the average the average shot as of today in America, the average distance of a law enforcement sniper shot is fifty eight yards. And then you have people say, "Oh, I'll make that with my Glock," you know. And most of the time, those people are talking out of school because it might be fifty eight yards away, but it's at night. You probably don't work for an agency that's got enough money to have the night vision and thermal that those special guys I was telling you about has. You may, but probably not. It's nighttime. There's still hostages in the house, and you don't know where they're at, and they're behind glass, so you got to deal with the glass. So you might be able to see the guy, and you might be able to save the hostage's life, but you might possibly blind her from the spalling of the glass. So you might save her life, but you may blind her. But what if you don't shoot and he blows her head off when you could have saved her? So those are the decisions you have to kind of make yeah. on the fly, on your own. And the amount of pressure, it's a horse job law enforcement by far. And But the amount of pressure put on one guy, it's so much better when you've got a spotter with you because you can confirm, hey, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Yeah. What are we going to do? And then it's so much easier to divide that decision making. But when you're by yourself, and you've been laying there for eight hours in your own piss because as sure as you try to take a leak, that's when a guy's going to walk out with a hostage. You just let it go. You know, people don't – they have no clue. You know, they really don't. And I'm not trying to play the martyr here. It's what we chose to do. But it's a different job than a military guy. So, I mean, I, my old man used to say, hey, when you ask a guy what time it is and he tries to tell you how to build a damn watch, you know. So, it's a long answer to your short question. But, anyway, I don't know. Is that, is that, is that that's what you're – uh, No, that's death. Yeah. Yeah, so depth, there was just a, it's a totally different. A it's a totally different job than what the military does. Uh, the only thing we got in common is you know some of the gear and uh, you know we're we're providing real time intelligence to our commanders and, and and providing precision fire on designated targets. I'll give you a great example. Uh, in 2000, I, I went to a sniper conference. I was debriefing a horrible call out where I watched a, a guy shoot a baby one night. Uh, sitting at my table was a sniper team leader for special for, uh, for Secret Service, and there were two fifth special forces guys there uh this is 2000 before right before 9-11 happened those guys brought military rifle they were shooting sr-25s which at the time had some reliability issues or magazines they had magazine issues they were shooting scopes that weren't really made for the police mission they came in dead last out of 75 SWAT, uh, sniper teams this is u.s army special forces i didn't have a rent car and um Actually, it was 100, not 75, it was 175 two-man teams. That's how big that match was. And they came in last. They were despondent. I mean, these are Green Berets. And they didn't, I didn't have a rent car, so Green Berets were taking me around to get a hamburger. You couldn't even talk to them. And finally, I said, okay, dude, what the, what the fuck? I said, you guys are Green Berets. They said, Brian, you don't get it. We don't lose at nothing ever, period. And I said, Eh, I'm not seeing it as you losing. I see it as you learning. 
I said, take these cops up in the ass end of a C-130, kick them out the ass end of it with oxygen, let them fly like a flying squirrel for however far y'all do, halo, hey-ho, and all that stuff, you know, high altitude, high opening, high altitude, low opening, whatever, let them land without breaking their leg, you know, make a 20-mile click or 20-click hump, a 900-yard shot in the wind and get out before the mortar start falling. They're like, you sure you weren't in the military? I said, no, I just know the damn difference. That's not even what we do. You're playing our game. I said, you got your asses handed to you. I said, but did you learn anything? They're like, dude, yeah. So anyway, long story short, um, about three years later, four years later, after 9-11 happened, uh, and those guys are fifth group, so they're in Asia. You know, they're over there right there. And I got one of them guys was uh, one of those guys was a, his whole family were raised. They had a turkey farm. One of them was a turkey farmer, and I forget what the I forget what the other guy did, but um, the other guys when I got a hold of, him, I called him up. I said yeah, he was at you know Fort Campbell in Kentucky, where fifth group station you know stationed at. I said, hey man, how's it going? Boy, how have you been? You know, we had to be go who y'all. You know, how's it been catching up and everything? I said, man, ask you something. I said all that all that cop stuff you guys learned at that match. I said, I said, where you guys been doing? He said, Brian, you wouldn't even recognize it. I said, we look like ZZ Top. We got beards down here. We've been kicking doors for three years, you know, going after, going after insurgents in Iraq, you know, and Afghanistan. And um, I said, did any of that cop stuff pay off? He said, dude, you can't imagine because all the fighting in Iraq was close. It was urban. And that's not what they normally do. He said, it was hugely beneficial. We changed our gear up, changed our optics up, and we slayed the fucking dragon. And I'm like, Cool, you didn't you didn't lose it all. So, you know that's that's the environment I'm in a lot. You know those kind of guys or guys I talk to, and every one of them you never know they look just like us. I mean, every one of them beer drinking, bass fishing. A lot of them got PhDs and win a bar fight too. You know they're just those kind of guys. You know they they got to be good at everything they do, and uh, but that's why they're special. So you know, thank God we have them. You know because they're they're fixed to be in. Headed to Israel, right? They're, they're there already. So I don't know about y'all, Mitch Porter, but Tanner, dude, hearing these conversations, I feel this big. Why? Um, Why, brother? You you shouldn't feel that big. You're no, oh, dude. These these are some different bad motherfuckers we're talking about here. Well, and they are, but you never know it from talking to them. I mean, well, I, no, they're they're, and it's no difference. Like, I mean, talking to you, you're a normal dude. Could you fuck us up? Probably. I mean, but I'd say almost, bro, certainly. I I, almost certainly, but nah. like I'm saying, like you're a normal dude, like, and we're talking about like Tyler and Ryan, like Ryan Warhola, who has been on this podcast multiple times for our listeners, trained underneath this guy in a sniper school, and like people like that are just down to earth, fishing, hunting. Ryan's, beer, Ryan's a great student. Yeah, he he's a great student, great shot too. He's just no pressure at all because he's just such a natural shot. You know, and you run up on. I run up on guys like that all the time. You know, I walk. I can watch somebody pick up a rifle, and the way they mount the rifle, it's like somebody picking up a bow. They shot a bow a lot. You automatically okay. I got to know how to shoot a bow. I mean, you just you just know. Or the way a guy mounts a shotgun, it's like okay, he can shoot. Yeah. I see. I can watch somebody pick up a rifle and see they pick it up. I'm like, yeah, he can shoot, or he ain't gonna hit. That's, the this guy ain't gonna hit the berm. You just you just know. And yeah, Warhola has that gift. Like when he shot that big horn ram or whatever the hell, like it was a. A pretty outrageous, like open sight, outrageous on the side of a mountain, tracking it, and I'm just like, he's just like, dude, it's just like, and he's not like any brag, braggadocious way. He's like, it just comes natural. Like, it's like well, that. It, it, it's it, easy. It, I pull the trigger and it's dead. Well, a lot of it's con- it's just I was talking to you earlier about yeah, you know, yeah. I, you know, shooting really, really far away. Um, 
everybody wants those crosshairs to just free frame, and it ain't happening. Because we're made of, we're just a big old bowl of jello made of water. You got an air compressor in there pumping away, especially if you just ran a wind sprint or even if you're amped up and got a little bit of buck fever, you know, because if that ever stops happening, I'm going to quit hunting, you know, but you know what I'm saying. But we're on a big old sphere that's spinning around. The wind's blowing. In South Dakota, you know, I did all the ammo testing for Black Hills. If you weren't through shooting by, and we're out on a prairie where the range was, the damn wind blows at 75 miles an hour out there for no reason. Here, that's a hurricane to go. Out there, that's just the way it is on a prairie. If you weren't through shooting by 930, it's blowing your ammo off the table, blowing you. And ain't you know I'm not too worried about much worried about, pardon me, what it's doing to the, my bullet at 100 yards, but it's blowing me around, you know. And you just you're not gonna be able to sit still, and you have to you know you just have to accept that. And when the crosshairs come across the stars, like Ryan said, break the shot. But it's all confidence. It's like you guys with a shotgun, you know, throwing something there, and you guys hitting it. It's just there's nothing for y'all. For me, I'm, I'm like okay, I'm fixing to embarrass my ass here. Well, just like you always show me up big time. All of y'all, also, I think you guys out, like, sh- um, shotgun me all day. So yeah, and the, the way you talk about that versus the way I talk about like shooting shots, like with a rifle, you know, I've been doing this. We've been doing this. You know, this is what we grew up doing with shooting shotguns, shooting birds and fowl and all that stuff. And so that's like our bread and butter, you know, and, and that, that repetition has bred confidence in all of us. We've, we're, we've been out there and done it a thousand times over, you know, so we're confident in doing that. But like, you take us out of our element and, and there's a whole, like, uh, it's, it's an intimidation factor in, in not knowing and not being confident in your abilities to do that without that repetition, you know? So that was just kind of what I meant when we talked about that. No, earlier. I get it, bro. But I mean, can you drive a formula one Le Mans car? <laughs> I can't eat. Yeah. I can't eat. I mean, you know, you know, and you know, let me rephrase. Let, let's put it. Let's, let me rephrase. Let, I haven't tried. Let's, let's put it this way. How much time, Oh, you guys aren't really old enough yet, but say a little girl. Look at Simone Bile. Or, or, I mean, I don't know, and I haven't talked about this, but I fence. You know, I, I'm also a fencer. A I, fucking I love, course. I love, I love fencing. So <laughs> I, yeah, you can shoot 700 yards and well, stab me with I, a knife. I, I mean, I love fencing. Fencing is it's like, because it's like chess at Mach 2. Can you play chess? Eh, I'm better at fencing. I'm pretty good at chess. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I like the I like the athleticism, and you know. So anyway, my fencing gym is is, is the Olympic fencing U.S. EPA Olympic fencing gym in Houston. So there's four Olympians that train at that gym, and every single person in that gym is a Olympic fencer, a veteran champion fencer, a collegiate champion fencer a high school champion fencer or a junior champion fencer. And then here come I with, you know, jujitsu guy walks in with the tattoos and shit. And all these kids are doctors, kids and lawyers, kids and, and stuff like that. You said so, jujitsu kid. So you're I'm also, the, no, I mean, I'm, I'm the jujitsu guy. I didn't know that people in there doing jujitsu. They're fencing, you know, I'm, you know, I got jujitsu on it. You know, so I walk in looking like this. You're, you don't see tattoos in the fencing gym, dude. Them are all rich people, you know? So I walk in 60 years old, say, I want to do this. Show me how to do it. And they're like, oh, okay. So, you know, so anyway, I'm fencing this 15 year old kid and it's like, he's got six touches on me before I even know, you know, with, with his, with his epee. And I got all the gear on and everything. And I'm, so I want to go, just bum rush a little fucker and cut his head off my pocket knife. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, <laughs> yeah. fuck, you know, fuck, here it comes. You know, I'm coming out with that, you know, from nowhere, you know. Like, so anyway, but I'm like, shit. So finally I got pissed off a little bit and I got actually got a couple of touches on him, you know, and I high five a kid. I mean, the kid's one of the top finchers in the United States at 15 in, in his league. And he said, sir, we've, we've been watching you. Is it 30? we got a little ways yeah, to go. We're, we're good. We're good. All right, so. 
Uh, he's like, we've been walking. He said, most people don't walk in this gym and start fencing. You, you know, and I, he said, you're doing better. You know, you're getting better every time you come. I said, oh, dude, you kick my ass. And he goes, sir, with all due respect, he said, I've been coming here six days a week, five hours a day since I was four. I should kick your ass. And the following month, he won the world championships in Dubai. You know, this past year, he won the American championship. So, I mean, I didn't feel so bad about him kicking my old ass. But there's always going to be somebody better. There's always going to be somebody smarter. There's always going to be somebody tougher. There's always going to be somebody stronger. You know, always. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I was teaching. I, I think I told you before I taught the police academy. So I used to fight every student in the academy. Um, I quit with Big Bailey. I, that after that academy, I, <laughs> after that academy, I, mean, I was starting. Everything was starting to hurt a little bit. So I, you, you know, saw so, Damon walk in. Yeah, uh, it wasn't that. I wasn't Speaking of, of Damon was also a, on the podcast. So if you're just a new listener, you can go back and see him physically. Oh, he's a monstrous dude. Yeah, he's big as a door. All right, quick break there, guys, and we're back with some more. If you've made it this far along, youtube.com slash Dragons. If you want to check us out over there, we'd really appreciate the support. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow along. Another story I wanted to get into, man, you mentioned earlier, and I've been dying to know ever since. Pulled out a can of uh, snuff earlier and put a big old fat dip in, and you said, man, I've got a Copenhagen story. Yep. Let's hear it. Yep. All right, so, man. Military Copenhagen comes and it just it's dry. It's like it sits on the shelf forever and it's dry as hell. If you got a can of stateside Copenhagen fresh in Afghanistan, you can get anything from close air support to a date with that damn thing. I'm telling you, <laughs> if you got stateside Copenhagen in Afghanistan, you are the fucking man. You you, you can name your price on whatever you we want. We have look, and I'm not trying to interrupt. I have I did send a roll to a dude in Iraq. Uh, I think it was in Iraq. Like last year, he just said, "Dude, could you send me some snuff? Like just a can." I sent right. him a full roll of oh, Copenhagen yeah. straight. Right. Like just because I was like, dude. Well, in that in that vein, so. I've got, you know, the, mil- the the special guys in SOCOM, you know, the SEALs, special forces guys, the Rangers, uh, Air Force, pararescue men, those kind of guys and other guys. Most of those guys get different ammunition than the regular Army troops. So a lot of them are using the ammo we made at Black Hills, which is, you know, the 5.56 we made was Mark 262 Mod O Mod 1, which is basically a Sierra Match King projectile. Well, uh, there was a big blow up over that because the the tip the part of the manufacturing of that projectile is they run a little small wire in there to keep it all concentric and when they pull it out it leaves the tip hollow but it's not like a hollow it's not a purpose-made hollow point like a pistol or uh barnes tsx it's not a true hollow point but it was a big point of contention because everybody was like this is against the geneva and Hague conventions you can't use hollow point ammunition in war well it's not a true hollow point so the lead counsel for DOD was a friend of mine named Hayes Parks. Hayes Parks argued at the Hague and Geneva Convention. That's not what this is. So, I mean, that's kind of friendly. I mean, this guy was, you know, represented the United States at the Hague Convention on ammunition. So, you know, that's not what it is. So that those guys use that ammunition. It performs so much better than green tip. So green tip is, are you guys familiar with 223 green tip, so it's got a little green tip on it. It's got a steel penetrator in it. Because when that ammunition was designed, it was designed thinking we're going to be fighting the Russians wearing body armor in the winter. Well, we're not. We're fighting little skinny dudes wearing T-shirts in the desert. So it's just zipping through them, and they're dead, and they don't know it, but they're still fighting. So our guys, you know, the National Guard guys, regular Army guys are having to shoot these dudes five, six times, 
to put them down. Whereas special forces guys are shooting the better, the better ammo, and they're like, boom, boom, the guys go down, and they don't have to worry about it again. So the regular guys are, this bullshit. You know, we're having to shoot these dudes six, seven times. They're still fighting, you know. Why can't we get the good And they're telling me this so from overseas. They're like, why can't we get the good ammo? I'm like, man, you just don't rate it. You know, go to Special Forces Q course or go to Ranger School or whatever. You, you got to be one of those dudes to get the good ammo. And they're like, well, it's bullshit. I'm like, I get it, but that's that's where you're at. So I'm like, okay. So they're like, well, what we, you know, we're, we're trying to kill these these bad people and, we're you know, our ammunition suck. I'm like, all right. So I'm trying to think outside the box. How can I get these kids the good ammo? So I'm like, look, you got any of the special guys anywhere around, the Air Force PJs, SEALs, Rangers, Green Berets, any of those kind of people around. They're like, yeah, they're on the side of the base, or we can get on a helicopter there, the next base over, FOB, or wherever. You know, they're close. I'm like, all right. So I go to Sam's Wholesale, talk to the manager, and say, tell me when your stateside Copenhagen comes in. So I'm using donated money from, you know, the people donating to the nonprofit. Pardon me. And uh, I'd walk in and buy thousand dollars worth of states like Copenhagen the day it came in fresh off fresh rolls off and I would send them a case of and I'm like take what you want for your guys get on that bird and fly over this SF base or this wherever I know they got the good ammo because that's what they do so those guys go over there and swap fresh Copenhagen out for good ammo and slay the dragon so yeah. I just try to teach them how to kind of work the system you know and they're just like holy fuck I'm like there you go and so right back go. to America, you know, that's, that's the way we, you know, you just got to teach them how to work your system. And, uh, yeah, that's just one, we, one story of many. So that's, that's very cool. Cause there's something that, you know, as like fishermen, and if you've been to Venice, Louisiana, it's, there's a deal where you bring beer and you can bring the cheapest beer, but if you bring beer, go offshore and you set them up on the, like the bow of your boat. And go up to the shrimp boats, and they'll be like the Filipinos or Vietnamese. Oh like yeah, working. Right. You'll have like four or five beers set up there, dude. They're giving you all their bycatch. Oh yeah, right. They're giving you their right. small fit, like their small shrimp. They're get they're giving you sacks of shit for beer. Yeah, like the same deal. It's like I need this to catch just snapper swap and tuna. Just swap it out. We man. traded uh, Dr. Peppers for a sixty pound tuna one time. Yeah, yeah we did. Yeah. We <laughs> did. Like, dude, they threw it off a freaking. They tied I, a rope I, to I, it. Vietnamese family before. lived next to me, and I used to, you know, Papa San didn't do shit. The Mama San cut the grass. She did everything. When he wasn't shrimping, he didn't do nothing but sit around drinking and smoking. That's all he did. So it wasn't no big deal for me to cut my grass. I just keep on cutting an edge right around her yard. And my mama saw me come. It was just like the nungs on on Grand Torino with Clint Eastwood. She would come over with a tray of shrimp and flounder and fresh, just fresh caught. You know. Yeah. And so it is pretty cool. The so. tray it is always awesome. That oh, that man. story, Matthew. I'm literally just had that picture. That was so good. They're like y'all. Like we're like hey. Like they're catching fish, we're catching fish, but they're on a rig. Yeah, yeah right. So Eighty we a, foot above us. We had a contact on this boat reach out, and we're marlin fishing. He said, "I spotted some marlin off the boat. Y'all come catch them." There's three of them, and he's out there every day. He's watching these fish. He's like, "I know this one's coming up over here to feed this one and this one." Yeah, here. yeah. And so he's like, "Y'all come, come catch them." <clears throat> he's like, "Y'all got any Dr Pepper?" And we, boy, we were like, <laughs> so we had so much shit on this boat. We we're like, "Hell yeah!" He's like, "All right, bring me some Dr Pepper. Yeah, you know, be my payment." That's awesome. We go out there at night. We back down on this drill ship, and the dude throws a bucket on a rope overboard. We grab it with the gaff. We fill it full of Dr. Pepper. Ropes it up, gets up there. Hey, man, y'all want some tuna? Hell yeah. 
This son of a bitch then pulled out a 60-pound yellowfin that he just caught fresh and ties a rope to its tail. It throws right, here it. it comes. Whoosh. <laughs> Boom. It smacks the water, man. We back down over it, get the gaff, pull that son of a bitch in there. It was, it was crazy, man. That's I, awesome, I'm man. I'm shut to you. Dude, that was. That's not even close to equal trade. <laughs> In no, but eyes. to them, well, you to think about them, dude. It's, that's yeah, right. Think about yeah, the right. circumstances, dude. This guy was tuna fishing every night. Yeah, yeah. tuna yeah. every night. Like he, yeah. he's out there just Underneath. tearing them up day, day in and day out on on homemade broomstick jigs. He would take I, that shit. Probably didn't have a, a fucking push broom or a mop left without a fucking just the heads are yeah. laying around everywhere. He's cutting them up. Wrapping them in foil and putting zip ties on to make them look like flying fish, and he is ripping dude. the tuna every single cast. That's crazy. Man. What dude? Bad what's funny though. is like right after, like, so we met like we were just making trades. Like he threw us one of those baits. We threw him Dr. Pepper's. He threw us a fucking tuna. Ryan just off the rip. I'm talking like off the rip. Two or three casts in, catch like an eighty pound fucking yellowfin on a broomstick. On That's a broomstick. And I'm like, <laughs> he would just bore out the center of them, run his line through there, put a hook on the other end. They were tearing it up. Oh, that's crazy. Dude, yeah. They're fuck a hundred dollar topwater offshore. Yeah, and he fucking yeah, owns right. Snapper Slapper. I mean, they, yeah. they got baits galore. Well, yeah, I know. It's, but a, I mean, it's a little bit different deal. It is, but it is different. That broomstick, though. That to broom fucking stick. whip out a broomstick. Yeah, dude. shout out to Night Flight if he listens to this podcast. Yeah, Night Flight. Night Flight. That dude there is catching tuna on broomsticks. Tuna boy. on a broomstick. Oh, yeah. Like 80 yeah, that, foot above That was hilarious. Dude, I'll never forget that in my life, the way that dude was just, hey, man, y'all want a tuna? Just <laughs> a big yellow freaking frayed rope, and over the side comes a 60-pounder, slaps the water. That's awesome. You out of your mind? That was crazy. Yes. But uh, that's hilarious, that Copenhagen story, man. You got to tell the, um, the PlayStation. Oh, yeah. Man, you know... We're t- we kind of, and I'll get back to it in just a second, but, you know, not to get all preachy and stuff, man, but God has always taken care of me. Yeah, I'm a horrible sinner. Horrible. Good Lord. I got, I hope, just hope they let me in just so I'll mop the floor. You know, whatever. I got a ton of stuff I got to answer for. <clears throat> but God's always looked after me, and I've always known that. And it just kind of gives you a calm piece, to, you know. So that American Snipers thing, stuff, hot, man. Those guys, a lot of times, we couldn't send them nothing maybe but a pair of binoculars and a bag of Skittles, and that's it because that's all we had money for. You know what I mean? Sometimes that's just the way it went. Or uh, we would pack boxes with baby wipes because those guys are in 150-degree heat and can't take a shower. The only way they can, you know, get the funk off of them is with baby wipes, and we send tons of them over there. But, you know, guys will walk in our booth at SHOT Show, and they'll look up and see our little skull logo with the bullet hole in his head, you know, or whatever, and, and they remember and it's been, you know, they were young corporals, privates, young buck sergeants. Now they're either senior NCOs or they're out of the military. And it meant so much to them that, uh, God, let me get emotional. Uh, they meant so much to them that somebody here gave a shit. It wasn't what we sent. It was that, that we sent something. And, and, but a lot of times, those guys, we completely kitted them out. We had one dude, he was a... Uh, National Guardsman, he's a firefighter, but when he was in the military, he went to Panama, and he was a sniper in Panama, and he's like, dudes, I got nothing. I said, what do you need? I need optics. What kind of, I got no optics whatsoever. I said, how are you working? He said, I've got a rat-grade M14 with open sights. You know, we haven't used that rifle since Vietnam, before the M16 was invented, so they're still issuing those because of the, the heavier ballistic capabilities, and 
I'm like, how are you working? He's like, my partner has to pop up with his cell phone, take a picture of this guy, blow it up to see if he's got a weapon, and then we try to engage him with open sights. I said, okay. That's, that's, you know. That's pathetic. Okay, but I mean, he's a National Guard guy. He's like, I'm like, what's your boss like? He's like, my boss is fucking great. We just don't have any money. And I'm like, okay. Man, I get on a mission. I go get this guy everything he needs. And, then we're, and we're not violating ITAR, which we're not sending stuff that, you know, we're sending packs and stuff that we're not sending weapons, not sending ammo, not sending, you know, stuff's going to get us in trouble. But everything else he needs, we can send. So we're like, you know, hooking this guy up. And he's like, fuck, man. He said, me and my partner are outside the wire every fucking day. And my boss is great. And they're just like, this guy's got National Guard guy, and he's got more confirmed kills than a lot of school, fully trained school trained guys. You know, so you can't really lump people into, it's just like life in general. You can't really lump people into groups. You know, everybody's got their own story. Everybody's got their own. You can't just judge somebody on, I'm a National Guard guy. Oh, well, you're not like a real soldier. Well, some of those dudes got more time than, anyway, I'll, I'll let that go. Point being, <clears throat> we've had guys walk in, our shots, in the shot show in our booth and see us and just drop their ruck and start bawling. I mean, it's happened so much now. We know what it is when we see it. At first, we're like, holy shit, what's going on? And guys just come up and hug us. They're like, hey, man, the stuff you guys sent me, I had a one-year-old kid that I'd never seen. I would have never seen him without the stuff you guys sent me. That shit saved my life. The equipment you sent me saved my life. You know, numerous, and it happens a lot. You know, we hear this story over and over and over and over again, and that's why we keep doing it. But, but one story, um, there's a Marine. Um, he's a buddy of mine now. He actually lives close to here. Uh, I didn't know he did, and, and, but he does. And uh, <clears throat> his wife called me out of the blue, and she goes, Hey, uh, Lance, um, they hit an IED, and it blew his eye pro off. It blew his Oakley's off. Have you got a connection with Oakley? And uh, I'd been talking to her for a while and getting him some stuff. And she, I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I got an Oakley connection. I'll, I'll get him some new Opro. And she started laughing. She said, I got to get him a new Sony PlayStation. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, well, he took our daughter's PlayStation over to Iraq to play <laughs> video game. He took all our video games and PlayStation over there when he ain't fucking killing bad guys. He's playing Sony on his PlayStation. You know, and I'm not, that's you, you guys there, not mine. I don't even know. You know, I, I had 22 rifles on my PlayStation. So anyway, so I'm like, let me get it. Let me buy him one. And she goes, no, that ain't what you guys do. And I'll, I'll find him one, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, no. I said, I'm going to get him fucking played. No, no. And, we went, and I'm not one to be denied. I'm just going to, I'm going to stick to my guns, you know. Well, she's like, okay. Well, that was the year that the new Xbox came out. Whatever. It was the bad, the newest thing. Mm, Couldn't oh, find yeah. one. So here I am. It's getting close to Christmas time. And I'm big talk of Betty Crocker, and, and no, I'm getting desperate. I mean, I'm going to go hire a burglar to steal one of them some bitches, you know, because I mean, I'm not going to let her down after putting on that big old big mouth of mine, you know, running my head. So <laughs> she calls me up, and she goes, hey. I said, hey, girl. She goes, what's up with the place? I said, girl, I can't find one. I said, I said I've looked in a pawn shop. I can't find one anywhere. Can't order one. Can't find one. She goes, yeah, I'm, same problem. She said, I'm just busting your ass. I said, look, don't worry about it. If something happened, it always does. She goes, oh, I ain't worried about it, whatever. The next day, I'm sitting there, phone rings. Hello? I said, uh, hello. It's, you, know, you know, I was at work, you know, and uh, doing a cop thing. And she's like, uh, this lady's like, uh, are you the, the guy that helps the snipers? I said, just man, one of them. And she goes, uh, well, my son was coming home from Iraq through Germany. He got killed. He was my only son. He got killed in a car crash on the Autobahn. And I said, oh, man, I'm sorry. You know, I'm just like my heart broken up for her. You know, and she's crying and stuff. And 
And she's like, look, you know, I've got all this thing. She said, I've got all these scary looking knives and, um, you know, his brand new BDU clothes and all this stuff, his equipment. I, you know, I'm, his, my, his dad and I divorced when he was young and he was my only kid. And, and, uh, I don't, I don't have a need for all that stuff. And I don't want to really look at all that stuff. Do we, can you use it? And the vast majority of the stuff we needed, you know? And, um, I said, yes, ma'am. Sure. So we exchanged his ad- addresses and everything. And I started to hang, we said our goodbyes and everything. I started to hang up. She's still talking. I said, ma'am, you still there? And she goes, yeah. She goes, this, this may not mean nothing to you, but you don't need a brand new Sony PlayStation, do you? <laughs> wow. True story. True story. On That'll my parents' damn. ashes. Well, not only did he have a PlayStation, he had every game ever invented for the damn thing. He had a brand new Xbox. He had a brand new GameCube. Is that what? It, yeah. And he had, I mean, he had like all of the GameCube was probably like the newest thing. The, at, at then, the this at was the then. Yeah. Like, yeah and, but the but he had all of that because he was the only child. And, yeah, you know, apparently they, they covered the kid up with good. I don't know what his military specialty was or nothing, but it didn't matter. And so I wound up, you know, he got the PlayStation and all the games. And then I sent that other stuff to other units all throughout the damn theater. Cause I mean, he had a ton of stuff, but stuff like that happens all the time. We had, we had a Marine call me one time. He's like, Hey, you know, man, we need knives over here. I'm like, what kind of knife? He's like, any kind of knife. You can't just go to Walmart or Academy and buy a knife over here. You know, we break our pocket knives trying to open stuff and whatever. I'm like, man, I can send you one I got in my pocket, but that's, that's all I got. You know, three days later, some guy called me from Georgia. <clears throat> He's like, you know, hey, man, I am uh, I got a gun shop down here, and we ain't going to make it. We're going bankrupt. We're going to close the son of a bitch. But, man, I got 12 K-bars. You want them? It just, it just keeps happening over and over. And every time I think we're out of money or whatever, so God shows up. Comes back just, like, just like Lieutenant Dan, God shows up. You know, Forrest Gump. I mean, because I don't know how many times we've been down to, <laughs> hey, we're going to have to close the doors on this because we just don't have the money, and we're not – rich people or nothing and people aren't donating or whatever and some oil executive from shell will call me and go hey man you guys still running that thing i'm like yeah uh well i'm pro military i'm republican and i work for shell oil and i need the write-off we're legitimate 501c3 he'll cut us a check for 10 grand and, and there, this one guy did that six years running on december the 31st at eight o'clock at night cut us a check for ten thousand dollars okay, just keeps it going you know i just keep you so on and on and on. I could just I could sit there all night talking about stories like that, you know, where it just keeps, you know. But but, but that's a God thing, you know, and it's just uh, doing the right thing for the right reasons. And, uh, you know, a lot of people ask us, uh, you know, how much money are you guys getting out of this? And not one penny. Uh, we don't have uh, – we don't have – all of our overhead costs are, are donated. Like our IT work, all our computer stuff is donated by, you know, patriotic Americans. Uh, the closest thing we'll come to taking a penny is – wearing one of our own ball caps to advertise. And that's why everybody likes us because they know we're, you know, we're yeah. not stealing. We're a true nonprofit. And if they want to see where their money goes, all they got to do is go online and look, you know? Yeah. So you can't toss around like nonprofit in the way you used to be able to like Rolex is a nonprofit. Yeah. Right. You yeah. Know, they like, know, and you know, the, the fact that it is a true, like true to the word nonprofit, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, a lot of people are like, man, why don't you quit your job and do that full time? You could raise, a ton more money and, and it's absolutely the truth but it's a bad optic and i've already made the commitment that nobody draws a salary nobody will ever draw a salary and i'm not gonna go back on my word so is even though i could raise more money if i did that god's got this you also though from i mean i've literally met you today you seem like a person that also likes to help people face to face that's oh, yeah, why right, right that's why yeah, sure. you're in that that field of work that you're doing yeah, hundred percent. 
Like, yeah. you're just a helpful person. You want to help people. You've said you wanted to do it since you were a child, and now you're doing it. Yeah, and that's on an international level there. Yeah. But 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 it's not just me, dude. There's like 40 people involved in that thing now. And well, I'm I'm just know, saying, like, but like you, I feel like you probably couldn't quit what you're doing. I mean, you're 61. Yeah. yeah. Right I'll, now, I'll be I'll be doing it for a while. You and yeah. you've been doing it. You're in law enforcement, right. and that's what your living is made off of. Right. And then helping everybody else. I'm good. No, thank you, brother. No, I'm good. No, I'm Gucci, bro. No, man, it just uh. Those little things like, you know, like say when those guys walk in your booth and just start crying. These dudes, I'm talking about, dude, I'm talking about dudes with extremely high numbers that have never been heard of in war, in the modern in modern era. Um, and when I say numbers, I'm talking about engagements, you know, and, and those guys just, you know, walk up and hug you and start crying. I mean, that just, that, it's that's just, fucking, it's, it's pretty cool. You know I mean? It, it's, uh, that's very cool. But, that's very cool. And it's some of the best Americans that this country's ever produced, you know. And then then you watch the news and stuff, and it's just like, ugh, you know, can't watch too much of that. So No, dude, I try to keep myself – I keep myself just enough in it to know what's happening. Right, right. But I don't, right. dude. It's just – it's 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 honestly – I feel like it's bad for your health. Yeah, right. Like you yeah, start yeah. stressing about it or you get mad about one side doing this or this side right. doing that. Right. Or whatever the fuck. Right. I, this is like, bro. No, I got you. I'm with you on that. A, it's a bad climate. You know, you have to, you have to do more now to get all the information. It's just tough. I, I don't, I don't really deal with the politics. I'm, I'm a police officer, not a politician. You know, there, there's nothing, in my opinion, there's not much any more useless than the politician. Yeah. yeah. And that's all we need to say about that. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, that is literally. <laughs> so, that's it. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't, I'm not a, I mentioned being fake, and that's yeah. There's nothing fake about me. But. Nope, not for us on the Bayou Dragons podcast. No, but we we talked earlier, man, about um, your career, um, the the progress you made, um, and then you know the step you took out of law enforcement and then back into law enforcement. Like, what what do you have for the future? What do you have planned? Do you have um, you know, do you have any goals set for, you know, what's next, or are you just kind of rolling with the flow? Well, man, I was, to be honest with you, I was kind of rolling with the flow. Um, I've got a pretty good job where I'm at. I like it. Um, you know, good pay, decent benefits, uh, that kind of thing. I've, I've gotten numerous job offers from different entities, and a lot of that stuff is shiny and pretty, and it seems really cool, but I've, I've been there too. And, and, and sometimes it's, the grass ain't always greener. So I'm just kind of trying to maintain that. Um, uh, I don't know what the future holds, man. I, uh, you know, I'm, and not to talk politics, but watching the news right now, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. You know, a lot of people are like, hey, man, we're not at war anymore. What, who, what are you guys spending your money on now? We're not at war. Well, we're, we're almost exclusively, as we speak, supporting U.S. Army Special Forces and their mission. And those guys are, uh, you know, those guys' missions, very, they call them special forces for a reason. Most of the time, those guys are spending far more amount of time training indigenous troops to be self-sufficient rather than, you know, the high-speed, blah, blah. They don't do all that stuff, but they teach other, their main job is to teach other people how to do that stuff. And even they are hurting for gear, whereas they never have been before. So that's our primary focus. But I just have a feeling, uh, and I had this conversation with my uh, the money guy, one of the guys that handles the most of the money with the organization, everything, and the, the IRS stuff and all the tax stuff. 
I said, hey, man, unless somebody really needs something bad, let's let's try to build our coffers up a little bit because I got a feeling we uh, – we're fixing to have some guys that, that need us, you know, and, and, some um, stuff building up and, and, you know, uh, that's really where my focus is at currently, you know, and there, there ain't no shortage of stupid people, but I tell people all in a Judeo Christian belief system, which most of us are, um, uh, again, not to get preachy. And I tell people this all the time, especially in the police Academy, when I was teaching of the first four people on this earth, two of them were involved in a domestic violence homicide. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. You know, it ain't much change. It ain't going to change till Jesus comes back. So I'll have a job until, you know, there is no shortage of stupid people. So you don't want to quit working. You don't want to quit doing what you're doing now. Eh, you know, man, I, to be honest with you, I'm, 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 I'm getting tired of looking at wounded, dead human beings. 35 years is enough. But I don't know what someone did. You know, yeah. what else am I going to do? That's what I do. So, you I mean, be, you know. You want to be a Bayou Dragon? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I will uh, take you, bro, uh, bro. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't even know. You'd be the first Bay Dragon on a full payroll. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm willing to go with that. Yeah, Shit, throw man. you on a podcast, we'll, you know, uh, you know, just being being in front of people all the time, teaching. You know, running, I ran an academy for years, and you know, teaching sniper school and stuff. It, being in front of a micro camera didn't bother me at all. You know, it's just kind but, of a. I was going to say that, and we talked about it before, but like you. You're very well spoken in a mic, and you uh, you said you've been on Fox News, you've been on yeah, like you know big. I've been on the national news once, um, Vegas for, for about three or four years running. You can find it if you go looking for it. Um, uh, Fox in Vegas had us out there, you know, talking about American snipers. Back when it was a, you know, people still cared about the war, you know. But yeah. uh, again, you know, just being in front of people talking is not hard. It's not hard for me because I do it a lot. You know, there's a lot more. There's a lot better things. If you can teach cops, you know, it, if you can teach cops, you can teach anybody because them guys think they know it all anyway. You know, so you know how cops are. But, but anyway, yeah. I mean, so there's a lot, a lot better things to be scared of than talking in front of people. Yeah, a lot of people can't do that. You know, it's just not. It's not for them. But um, that's a dumb thing to me. I I, I don't know, and maybe it's just a. a we're exposed to that a little bit more, but yeah, people say always dumb. tell me it's just. Oh, well, maybe you know, it just seems silly at this point. You know, I, you know, everybody deals with their own insecurities and stuff, but like, you think about it, you really put it into perspective. Like, there's so much more that's out there to be worried with about social, than just talking in front of people. Right. You know, well, like, and most people are like real big on social media nowadays. They're sh- they're posting their photos every oh, yeah, day, from, or they're well, doing they're this from behind the screen. You know, they're not. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I don't have, you know, you mentioned the word insecurities. I just don't have many of those. I can I tell. Guess, I guess I've got a couple, and I'm not going to talk about what they are because, I mean, I don't want to give anybody ammunition against me. But, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you guys one-on-one what they are because it's probably the same ones you have. Well, I don't know what to say that hasn't already been said, man. It's been a wonderful episode. Brian, thank you so much, man, for uh, taking the time to come out, man. Um, you know, I heard you heard about the show through the grapevine, and you, right. like you said, you've known us um, – you know, I have a challenge coin that you issued to me seven years ago after Hurricane Harvey. Huh, uh, yeah. You know, and I pulled that out and showed it to you earlier. I, I thought that was cool, man. As, as soon as I heard you were coming, I grabbed that thing out of my truck and put it in my pocket. But that's cool, uh, man. I, we really appreciate having you on, man. And uh, you have you're just as many interesting people as we have on this show. Uh, you have got some stories, man. We'll there's get to a here lot. for 20 hours and yeah. not fill yeah. all these stores. Yeah, honestly. there's a, and you know, I, I tell people 
like leading into the show, I was really excited to get to sit down and talk with you and pick your brain. Cause I haven't had that opportunity like in passing when we've spent time together and all that. And right. so it's been really fun, man. And I'm, I'm glad, you know, we got the opportunity to have you on brother. I mean, you guys are like 29 years old. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, going on what three, almost, you know, two and a half times that. So you guys will have your own stories to tell. You know, I was, I was talking about on the break, you know, as you get older, your, uh, your focus changes, you know, on things, the things that really, really matter, just really kind of, man, it's almost like cranking your parallax knob on your scope, up, you know, or your magnification up on your scope. You just, you feel the view narrows and you just really focus on the stuff that, that really matters, you know, and it's a, uh, it's kind of a weird reflective time because I don't feel old. You know, I don't really act old. I don't really feel old, but I am old. You know, man, I'm dying to get on the Bronx course right now. I used to ride bareback courses back in the day, and I loved it. And, I, you know, I was – everybody said, man, you got a ton of natural ability. You just need to get on more horses. But I started shooting competitively at the same time, you know. And right now, I just I, I just absolutely chomping at the bit to get on saddle Bronc course or bareback course. But it's just stupid. I was going to say, do you want to? <laughs> Absolutely, I want to. I got a guy. I, oh, no, dude, I'm not, that's not a problem. You Joel Piku. Oh, I know Joel very well. Joel will let you get on one real I, quick. I, I got one 200, 200 yards that way that'll uh, empty uh, out your fucking pockets. Well, I get that. Just and like I'm, Chris Kyle, I, he'll I, fucking I, shake the dimes out of your pockets, I, I, boy. And I miss it, bro. I mean, there ain't nothing like getting in a time with one of them big old horses. You know, it's just unless you've ever done it, you've never done it. You know, it's just... You know, last one I got on, fell on, I had that bitch road, and she fell on me, broke my ribs, and it kicked me in the face. But, I mean, you know, you just got to be a different person. You know what like, that did, though? It built the shit out of your character. I guess, man. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm, you know. But funny story, man. I was, I was at a rodeo uh, one year, and a little guy named Howdy Cloud. His daddy's name is Randy Cloud. Y'all know Howdy? Howdy Cloud? You ever heard of him? I feel like I would know. Uh, that's yeah. not a name I'd forget. Yeah, Howdy was, when, when Howdy was little, he was like, four and he had a pair of his i was at the rodeo and he had a pair of his daddy's a bull riding some bitch i watched him steer dog a runaway bareback horse had a guy hung up to him i watched Randy jump out and grab that horse by the head and throw him down i never you just did not want to fight that dude and uh but howdy is his son so i'm bouncing howdy on my leg he got on a pair of his daddy's bull spurs and he starts booting my leg and i'm like oh shit you know what i mean he's cutting my leg with his spurs because his daddy's a good bull so i'm handing him off to his mom i'm like take this rascal you know so man 20 years go by, and I'm watching, I'm thumbing through the road, and I'm watching the National Finals Rodeo, and here they, howdy, Cloud, I want to, little kid went pro, you know, and he's riding the NFR, you know, and the last time I saw him, he was cutting the leg up. He was his daddy's spurs bull spurs. He was four years old, you know, so you look back, man, and it's just different, you know. I don't feel old. I don't act old. I don't really even think old, but I am old, and it's like right now I want to get on the back up, and it's just not smart. I'm like, okay. I'm going to be sitting in a wheelchair drooling out of my mouth, and who's going to be feeding me? <laughs> so, you know, I probably won't do it, but, man, it's just uh, – yeah, Cody Johnson nailed that one, dude, with that Deer Rodeo song. I don't know, at first I thought it was kind of corny, but then I got to listen to him. I'm like, you eh, pretty much knocked that one out of the park if you ever rodeoed, you know. But anyway. Dude. So, but, I, man, I appreciate you guys having me on. I talked to Mitch about it. You know, I thought, man, those guys are me when I was that age, you know. I mean, I, you know, a little bit different, but, but kind of not, you know, modern day. We didn't have all this back then, but um, I, I was I was telling the chart. I, I see a whole lot of myself and, uh, and and my brother and my my family in y'all. You know, so I'll take that as a compliment. I, th I think y'all are killing it, man. Y'all, I, I just keep doing what you're doing, man. I'm I'm proud as hell just to. We're lucky to, to li we're lucky to live in this time where it's 
we can share and people get to enjoy what we do. I mean, that's basically all we are is basically posting what we do and people enjoy yeah. it. Well, it just seems nowadays, man, there's such a, a lack of basic respect for other people. You know, it's just, I don't know, it's just a weird time in, in the country. But but then you run across, you know, good people like you guys or whatever, and it kind of restores your faith in humanity, you know. But uh, uh, anyway, I'm rambling again. But uh, no, thank, thank you all so much for, for, for letting me hang out and uh, give me a cold beer and, and a hot steak. I mean, it does. Don't get no better than that. Dude, yeah. And the Astros are winning right now, 10 to 3. Oh, uh, oh damn. Oh, Astros going are, the Astros it are, was 3 uh, to dude, 3 the last No, time 10 to 3. It's going to the bottom of the eighth. Gang shit. Boy, I, I got, I'll bet 20 on the Rangers for you, Porter. No, shut Just up. Just kidding. That's a bet. <laughs> shut That's a terrible up. bet. Man, man. I, uh, That's been interesting, too, man. They, dude. They, they, they're scrappy, but you got to give it to them. Porter's oh. fired up. Dude, I'm, I'm about to go home and just. Finish this game out just really freaking rocked up, bro. <laughs> I didn't realize they were playing again tonight. Yeah, they are. I thought they were on a break. I got a coworker who's just sick right now, Rangers fan. He's at the game. Dude, I hope – I. you know what? I hope he gets the common cold after this game. <laughs> I, I just hope they let the. I just hope they let them play in Arlington. Don't I, let them come home. Let some bitches get their ass whipped. I guarantee you, down thing. down 10 to 3, I know he's at the stadium just polluted right now. Polluted. <laughs> polluted. Dude, polluted. I can't uh, believe that guy made you guys laugh. Dude, like that. Brian, thank you for that word, polluted. Because we used tarnished, we used trashed, we used tanked, we used tossed, tossed. we used like, like I, I'm <laughs> that's talking an old, that's old school, man. Dude, we use everything under the but polluted. I know, man. I, I got universal praise out of that. I just, I was like, what the hell? That will be. I'm used. just dating. I'm dating myself, <laughs> man. Everything's fu- good. Y'all be wearing bell bottoms next week, you know? So. Dude, I'll fuck it. I'll do it. I'm already care. wearing them right now. Look at them. <laughs> Dude, straight up. Go. Dude, Brian, for sure, we're going to have to, if you allow us, I would love to have you on again Shoot in the future. Chad, anytime. And I would love to, uh, honestly, next time we're going to schedule it where we have like Warhola so he can ask you a little bit. I mean, I th- I feel like we, you know, had really good conversation, but I think Ryan could ask yeah, you he some. He can narrow it down a little bit He can bit narrow more. it down a little bit more. He knows, right. he knows it a little bit better than us, like, you know, the. Right. We came into this blind, you know. Yeah, I had no clue. Just I a did. bunch of gun-toting rednecks is all. Basically, too. <laughs> yeah. And so Mitch, am I. Mitch just said this dude was a sniper or he's a sniper. Like, I literally had no clue. I just knew you were. Uh, a badass. The old uh, Shannon's uncle. Man. I knew you were <laughs> Shannon's uncle. I, I knew you were Shannon's uncle, and I was like, well, That's it. That and That's good. That's perfect, man. She's one of the best kids. Yeah. She, oh, I'm, I'm proud of her. More proud of her than anything I ever did. You know, she, Shannon's awesome. Yep. She whole is, family, her whole family, or my brother's, uh, uh, he's one of a kind, his whole, his whole family. But anyway, man, I, I appreciate the kind words and I don't real do real well with compliments, but I, man, I thank y'all. I, and you guys are doing great shit too. You know, it's just, uh, like I said, it's all about, uh, all about America, brother. That's it. You know, Fuck do, everybody, yeah. everybody's trying to make it and, uh, doing their part, you know? Hell yeah. All right, man. Let's right, end. Yeah, Let's really, end on really that. enjoyed it, guys. Yeah. Thank y'all for tuning in. Uh, YouTube.com slash Bayou Dragons. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Apple, Samsung, anywhere you get your podcast, guys. If you made it this far, we really appreciate the love. As always, we'll see you guys in the next episode. And FSTF, AmericanSnipers.org. Thanks, Brian, for coming on, man. Right on. Thank you.